Hey, it's Matt Bowles. If you want to hang out with me in person, I'm going to be at the Latino Travel Fest in Elizabeth, New Jersey, May 31st to June 2nd. And I've got a 15% discount for you to join me. Just go to themaverickshow.com slash Latino. That's L-A-T-I-N-O. There you're going to see your 15% discounted ticket. There are going to be multiple guests from The Maverick Show attending, so you'll be able to hang out with all of us in person. You do not need to be Latino in order to attend Everyone is welcome. Again, get your discounted ticket at themaverickshow.com slash Latino. And as soon as you do, send me a DM on Instagram at Matt Bowles Maverick. Let me know that you're coming so that we can make plans to link up in person. And now here's a clip of what's coming up on today's episode. How did I go from the projects of Bed-Stuy, Brooklyn, now to Sevilla, Spain, sitting in a circle with these kids from all these different countries, and we're speaking in Spanish? I just remember being so blown that life had sort of carried me in this direction. And almost in some ways, just also like my parents have never had this experience. No one in my family has had this experience. Like, why me? But then also, okay, what can I do with this? is The Maverick Show, where you'll meet today's most interesting real estate investors, entrepreneurs, and world travelers, and learn the strategies and tactics they use to succeed. And now, here's your host, Matt Bowles. Hey, everybody, it's Matt Bowles. Welcome to The Maverick Show. My guest today is Lamar Shambly. He is a Brooklyn-based educator with eight years of experience in teaching middle school math and high school Spanish. After studying abroad in Spain and traveling the world, he was inspired by his former students to launch Teens of Color Abroad, known as TOCA, a small black-led social impact organization that provides high school students of color with global language learning opportunities. In under two years, TOCA has sponsored new U.S. passports for 20 high school students, served over 500 students through in-person and virtual programming, and awarded more than $30,000 in scholarship to teens of color across the United States. Lamar has a bachelor's degree in modern languages and literature and a master's degree in teaching and He's originally from Bed-Stuy, Brooklyn, so he represents BK to the fullest. Lamar, welcome to the show. Yo, what's up, man? Thank you so much for having me. Well, I am so excited to have you here, brother. Let's just start off by setting the scene and talking about where we are today recording this. Unfortunately, we're not in person. I am actually in the Blue Ridge Mountains of Asheville, North Carolina today. And where are you? I'm in Bed-Stuy, man. I'm home here in Brooklyn, so I'm calling in from Bed-Stuy. I love that, man. We got to start off this interview with Do or Die Bed-Stuy because you grew up there in the 90s during the golden era of hip-hop where some of the greatest that ever did it were doing it, man. So can you take us back there a little bit and just talk about what that was like growing up for you in Bed-Stuy in that era? Yeah, definitely. I split my childhood years. The first nine years of my life was here in Brooklyn and Bed-Stuy. Bed-Stuy 1997 was not the place you want to raise your kids. So my mom, you know, leveraged her courage and we eventually moved down south to Norfolk, Virginia. So I grew up here, Brooklyn, Bed-Stuy in the 90s, and then a very dramatic switch, uh, moved down south to Norfolk, Virginia. So it was almost like this cultural like clash because, you know, growing up in Brooklyn, I'd seen and heard so much. It's actually how my love for languages started, right? Because here in New York City, there were signs in Spanish, signs in Russian, signs in Mandarin. And I just remember being like, whoa, this is so cool that there are other ways to speak. And I'm really thankful that growing up, growing up, it was just me and my sister and my mom. But my mom was also a huge fan of hip hop music. So growing up, I listened to Biggie, Wu-Tang, Sade, uh, Mary J. Blige. That was sort of the music that I had grown up on. But Bed-Stuy in the 90s, uh, I'm really thankful. I, I went to school, elementary school in Fort Greene. My mom 
had to use someone else's address because she knew that I was I was a bookworm kind of kid, very smart, uh, very gifted, and uh, she wanted to make sure that I had the best education possible. So I went to elementary school in Fort Greene, where I would walk down the street every day. I was like, what, seven, eight years old walking to school. But I knew that Brooklyn and New York City always felt like home. So even though we moved down south to Virginia, after I graduated from college, I moved right back to New York City because this has always just been a part of me. That's amazing, man. And as you were growing up, can you talk a little bit about how did hip hop influence you in particular, right? You know, Biggie was doing that in your neighborhood, right? I mean, this, I mean, dude was like freestyling out on Fulton Street around the block in bed So like when you came up in that particular place at that particular time, what influence would you say that hip hop had on you as you were coming up? Yo, what an incredible question. Hip hop has meant a lot to me for the different stages of my life. I think when I was younger, it was more so I was a bit of a quieter kid. I was a bit softer. So people would pick on me. And for me, it was that confidence. It was that like braggadocio, yo, I got this shit. Watching Biggie, you know, a larger size guy, you know, talk that, but be smooth at the same time. That for me, uh, sort of taught, right, the power of confidence and the power of just you know, walking with your chest out and and also understanding, even as a kid, I remember when Biggie said that he was uh, fat, black and ugly as ever. However, I stay coochie down to the socks, right? So for me, it was like, yo, this guy knows what he looks like. That is self-awareness, okay? He knew himself. Um, so I remember as a kid that being like, yeah, like, I wish I was that cool. All the way through to my sort of late teenage, early adult years after I came out. So like my friends and my family, for me, it was that resilience. It was that confidence for someone who had, you know, spent the majority of my life sort of ashamed of myself, where I had this music now that gave me the confidence that I needed, that I wanted. So it was, you know, inspired me as a, as a young Black kid, inspired me as a queer person, but also as an educator. I can't tell you the number of times I've played Enter the 36 Chambers before my students walk in the classroom, because I'm just kind of tired and feeling feeling a little bit low and I'm, they don't need a teacher like that. Like I got to wake myself up. How do I get myself hype? Boom, put on the W or into the 36 chambers. And like my mentality is just totally refreshed. So hip hop has also influenced me as an educator. So it's like, it's all different places, but that's the power of music. That's so amazing, man. And then I'm also curious as you were growing up, how you were inspired to travel the world. You mentioned how you started to get interested in languages and other cultures, but how did that then transition to wanting to travel the world? And then how did you make that a reality? What was that journey like? Building Toka has really been a culmination of like my personal, professional and academic life. As I said earlier, growing up here in Bed-Stuy, I had seen languages all over. So I had developed an affinity for other languages since I was a kid. And so in kindergarten through fourth grade, you know, we learned farm animals and colors and numbers and cute little songs like that. And then we moved down south to Virginia. And eventually, I found myself at a very wealthy, private pre-Civil War school where the other kids I went to school with didn't look like me, came from a very different background than my own, went from, you know, cornrows, bed Brooklyn now to going to school with Pat Robertson's grandkids and John McCain's grandkids. And I'm like, is this a social experiment? What am I doing here? But I had still had that love for languages, right? And so in eighth grade was when I really started taking the Spanish language seriously and studying it. Fast forward uh, to about my junior year in high school, there was an opportunity for students to study abroad in Spain during spring break, and I couldn't afford it. And I remember that breaking my heart because I had gotten straight A's in my uh, middle school and high school Spanish classes. I knew that I was just as academically competent as the kids that I went to school with. But because I came uh, from a family with not many resources, I knew that I wouldn't be able to access educational opportunities that they were able to. I often joke and say that this is my villain origin story because I was like, wait, what? 
I can't do that, but I'm just as smart. Like, I know I could do this. This is what I really want to do. And so my Spanish teacher reassured me and told me, you know, when you go to college, you'll have the opportunity to travel and study abroad. And so fast forward my freshman year, freshman into sophomore year, I applied for a student-led medical mission trip to the Dominican Republic. And I was accepted on the trip, which was really dope. So now finally, I'm going to have this opportunity to travel and to see the world. But once again, I looked at the price tag and realized I couldn't afford it. I also didn't have a passport at the time. No one in my family had been out of the country. So I went to my academic advisor and I said, you know, thank you so much for accepting me on the trip to the Dominican Republic, but I don't have a passport. I've never been out of the country. I I can't afford this. I don't know where to start. And he said, well, why didn't you say anything to me? And slid his credit card to me across the table. And he said, I'm going to make sure that you get a passport. We're going to make sure that you have airfare to the Dominican Republic. And it just took one person to knock down what was seemingly an insurmountable barrier between me and accessing this international, you know, international opportunities. And so that was set. That was my first time out of the country. I got to travel to the DR. I was doing uh, some medical translation for doctors, doing ethnographic research in the community, actually getting to use the Spanish that I for so long sat behind a desk in school, conjugating the same verbs over and over and over over again without having a real world conversation with other people in Spanish. And so that was my first time doing that, but also talking to folks who look like my cousins, who look like my uncles. I'm like, bro, you look like you could be related to me, but we're speaking in Spanish. You're from here. So for me, it also expanded my mind in terms of Blackness in a global context, right? Like, yeah, I'm from Brooklyn. I knew that there were folks from all different around the world, but to actually be there and to speak with other Black folks, to me, just like blew my mind. So I knew that I wanted to continue to find international opportunities. So my junior year, I applied for a scholarship through the U.S. State Department uh, called the Benjamin Gilman Scholarship. And so through that, I was able to study abroad for six months, uh, living with the homestay family, taking classes entirely in Spanish, traveling around Europe. You know, Ryanair is popping. So those tickets were like 30 bucks to travel to Milan for a weekend. Yeah, sure. I would do that. So I like traveled around Europe and, you know, it all started from that first experience in the Dominican Republic. And it took an educator to open that door for me. And then, as you know, when you get bit with the travel bug, it's just, you know, everything's open. I love that, man. And I would love to go back to that first DR experience and ask you to reflect on the impact that that had on you. One of the things that you wrote on your website, you said, my first international trip pushed me to see myself differently. I began to explore all the parts of who I am, my privilege as a Westerner, my struggle as a Black American, and my impact as a U.S. citizen when traveling abroad. Can you expand a little bit on that? Yeah, absolutely. So I feel like growing up, my mom has always talked to me about what does it mean to be Black and what does it mean to be a boy, right? Uh, In terms of being Black, you know, just very hyper-aware. It pushed me to be hyper-aware as a child. But then also as a boy, my mom trained me as a machine to walk on the outside of the street so that I protect the person on the inside, just like small little things like that, that was always planted in my mind. But I didn't know what it meant to be an American, right? That's a title, that's an identifier that I feel you don't really get to explore unless you travel, unless you meet people from different backgrounds. So you get to understand your own privileges and and your own upbringings. And so it took that trip to the DR for me to realize wow, I'm very American in lots of ways, right? And and I, I didn't go through that thought process uh, before traveling. And so I think that's one of the really dope outcomes for, for what we're doing here is we're, we're encouraging students to learn languages. And as a byproduct, they start to just reflect a bit more about themselves. And so I think that that is just one of the most powerful things that you get out of travel is your own self-awareness. Yeah, 100% agreed with that. And then I would love also to hear more about your experience in Spain, because I know you did a homestay there and you interned at a human rights nonprofit and you did a whole bunch of stuff there. I would love to hear a little bit more about how that experience was for you. Yeah, I was busy, man. I took that semester like I just squeezed as much as I could out of it. I'm so proud of myself looking back on it because I think it really 
illuminated the pathway to where I am now. My parents did not want me to study abroad at all. Absolutely not. Why would you do that? Why would you go thousands of miles away? I'm already the first person in my family to go to college. And the college that I went to wasn't too far from my mom. So I was still sort of close to home. But this has always been a goal for me uh, since I was a child. And so I ignored my parents. I was like, sorry, parents, I'm going to do it anyway. Thanks. Bye. And got my own airfare to Spain. And this was I, I was talking with my students the other day because, again, I'm working with Gen Z. So I'm working with kids that are around 16, 17 years old. I told them, yo, there was no smartphone when I studied abroad. I had to find the address of where my homestay where my family was living. I had to print out those directions and figure out how to get from the Sevilla airport to my homestay, which is, of course, now I'm like, wow, I'm so, again, proud of myself for doing that. Those six months just really changed my life. I think uh, for me, it just pushed me out of my comfort zone entirely. Living with a family from a very different background than my own. I love the classes that I was taking. I love that it was fully immersive in Spanish as well. All of my classes were in Spanish. And then I think one of the, the really standout parts of that experience was also connecting with people from very different backgrounds than my own, right? There weren't many Black American students in the study abroad experience. So, of course, folks were interested in me and my background. And I got to make friends uh, with local Sevillanos, other students that were studying abroad from France, from Germany, from all over, right? So I'm like, how did I go from the projects of Bed-Stuy, Brooklyn, now to Sevilla, Spain, sitting in a circle with these kids from all these different countries, and we're speaking in Spanish? I just remember being so blown that life had sort of carried me in this direction. And almost in some ways, just also like my parents have never had this experience. No one in my family has had this experience. Like, why me? But then also, okay, what can I do with this? And so it was this experience in Spain that pushed me to want to, you know, come back to New York and be a high school Spanish teacher. So I could encourage kids who look like me and come from my same neighborhood to get them excited about learning languages. And so that was an incredible experience. And then interning abroad, again, led me to being a high school Spanish teacher. I actually haven't reflected about this out loud in, in a very long time, but I was an intern for a nonprofit called Movimiento por la Paz. And my boss, she was just absolutely incredible and so excited for me to have this first time experience in Spain. And so the very first thing that I did, the boss, she encouraged me to introduce myself to the students in Spanish. And so I was a bit nervous, but I was telling the students, you know, Hola, buenos dias, me llamo Lamar. Like, I'm very excited to be here with you all. And I could not think of the word for excited in Spanish. So I paused for a second and I just like immediately went for a cognate. I was like, excitado sounds like excited. Yeah, okay. Estoy muy excitado para estar aquí con vosotros. And my boss started laughing and she pulled me to the side after and she was like, I just want to let you know, it's a very common mistake. But that excited that you use, that refers to more physical excitement. So uh, the correct <laughs> word is emocionado. And I was just like, beat red. She, the kids had no idea what I was saying. So like, it, it's totally fine. But I just remember that experience. Again, that is something you go through in language learning, right? You fall on your face and, and make this huge mistake. But then I got to tutor students in English. So I got to teach them English. And in exchange, they sort of taught me some Spanish. So it was, again, just an incredible experience for a 21-year-old kid who hasn't really been out of the States much to get a chance to be fully immersed in the language, but also give back at the same time. That's amazing, man. And then I know after your Spain experience, you continued to travel the world and you went to Spanish-speaking countries in Central America and South America. And the first one I want to ask you about is Nicaragua, because I have spent probably about a month there. I think you've spent even longer than me there, but I would love to hear a little bit about how your experience was in Nicaragua. Yeah. Um, so for me, I spent time in Nicaragua right before I became a high school Spanish teacher because I wanted more robust practice with the language. When I moved to New York, I actually was a sixth grade math teacher for five years. I love kids. I'm very patient and I can make any 
subject that I teach, I can make it engaging. So I was like, yo, put me in for math. I got it. Math is usually the subject that kids hate. I'm going to make them love it. So I would play actually talking about hip hop music. I play a ton of music in my classroom, more instrumental, flying Lotus, uh, just a lot of beats. And the kids seem to like really get into math. And so I tried to make math fun and engaging. And though I really enjoyed that experience, it was languages and culture that was always really like a passion of mine. So then I became a high school Spanish teacher. But before I started teaching full time, I knew that I wanted to just spend time in another country and continue to develop my Spanish. So I went to Nicaragua. Specifically, I was in San Juan del Sur, which is I, of course, was in Managua for a couple of days and then spent time in San Juan del Sur, living with the family, taking one on one Spanish classes for hours a day, just again, strengthening that practice. And the people that I met was just absolutely amazing. Again, so excited to have an American man excited about learning languages and having those cross-cultural conversations. It was an incredible experience for me. That's amazing. So the other thing I've got to ask you about is this trip that you did from Costa Rica all the way down to Colombia. And I want to hear about the whole thing, man, because it just sounds completely epic. So can you share a little bit about sort of what brought that trip about? And then how was that, you know, each step of the way? Yeah, yo, that was me running away from a dying relationship. So I was like, yo, I'm going to peace out for like three weeks (laughs) and I'm going to just travel. I need time alone. I want to fall in love with life again. And I found that that's what happens for me through travel. And so I started in San Jose, Costa Rica. I spent a couple of days there, uh, which was absolutely beautiful. And then I took a bus over to Puerto Viejo de Talamanca, which is on the Caribbean coast of Costa Rica. And I love that place specifically because they were very proud of their African ancestry. Being that it's a Caribbean town, they had a large influx of slaves during the Middle Passage. And so that was just so dope to see what is Black Costa Rica look like. And so that was incredible. Then from Puerto Viejo de Talamanca, I traveled over to Bocas del Toro into Panama and spent a couple of days there living in a home or staying in a homestay, uh, just sort of traveling around and, and seeing how beautiful Panama was. And then from Bocas del Toro, flew over to Panama City, where I spent a few days there and just traveled around, tried to figure out, you know, what are some local places I need to be checking out? One of the coolest things I did in Panama City, there was a tour of old Panama City that was led by former gang members of that area. So they got to walk us around parts of of Panama City that are now, of course, built up and, you know, a bit more uh, invested into But he got to tell us, you know, he told us, here's what happened here back when, you know, I was 19, 20 years old. And so I really appreciated that sort of real world reflection of the space we were in. I love museums, but I love getting that just like, what happened here? What am I standing in front of? So I was in Panama City. And then the most epic part of the trip started there. I joined a tour group where we toured through the San Blas Islands off the coast of Panama. So for four days, three nights, we were island hopping off the coast of Panama, sleeping under the brightest stars. I think I got a whole different set of stars down there because I've never seen anything (laughs) like that. Um, And also getting to swim around with bioluminescence. I was swimming in the water once and I saw like a school of dolphins come by. And again, um, all of this for me, a kid from Bed-Stuy, Brooklyn from the projects with family that didn't, you know, really have this experience. My mind is just like, there's a whole world out there. This is so beautiful. And I just remember feeling like, wow, if I can have this experience, I want my students to also find a way to have this experience in life as well. And that was, for me, language learning. I had studied Spanish, and so it had pushed me to travel to Spanish-speaking countries so that I could continue to have this in-depth experience. So we did uh, four days, three nights off the coast of Panama, eventually got into uh, Sabzuro, Colombia, which is right on the border of Panama. Spent a couple of days in Sabzuro, 
That was incredible. I'm not going to talk about it on the podcast. Maybe when we're after and, and we put the recording <laughs> off, I'll share more about that experience. But it was just once again lovely to connect with people who were traveling through uh, Panama at that time. Sapzuro up to Cartagena, up to Taganga, Colombia, where I eventually, and this is where I'll end this story, but one of the cool things about traveling is just traveling teaches you resilience. I had gotten pickpocketed in Taganga, so towards the very end of the trip where my phone was stolen, and I wasn't hurt, everything was fine with me. Um, I was sitting at a restaurant eating. I brought this up to the waitress and my phone was gone, and so she brought me to the back. She was like, let's find your phone. And she brought me to the back of her restaurant where she let me use her computer. But in the same room was a relative of hers who was uh, paraplegic. And so I'm in the back of this restaurant using the computer, meeting this man who's a paraplegic. And he's like asking me what's going on. And I'm sharing with him my story about how my phone was stolen. And I'm trying to look it up on Find My iPhone. Berto. I will never forget this man. I will never forget his name because what started as me frantically trying to find my phone ended up being a 45 minute conversation with Berto about how beautiful life is. And I know that this sounds incredibly corny, but for someone who was in a precarious situation or like, I was just extremely like worried. He calmed me, like made me realize you are alive. I'm sorry your phone got taken, but you are here in, in Colombia right now. I want you to enjoy this experience. And so he changed my mindset completely. And then I enjoyed that entire night. I ended up going to like a local club and meeting people, sharing with them that my phone was taken. They were like, your, your phone got stolen? We don't do that here. Let me buy you a drink. And so these local Colombians like started buying me drinks because they were like, no, that's, we celebrate life here. That's not what we're about. And I ended up staying out until the early morning and watching the sunrise over the ocean. No phone, just vibes. No phone. <laughs> just like, and, and again, that's the power of travel is that you get to connect with people, even in these seemingly fucked up situations. We've all sort of been there. And so, yeah, that was just an also incredible way to cap off that journey to know that everything is going to be all right. That is so amazing. Well, I think that is a perfect pivot because I want to ask you about the founding of Teens of Color Abroad. Can you talk a little bit about what the impetus for that was, how you decided to start TOCA, and then what is the mission and vision of TOCA today? So after you know two years of teaching Spanish, one of my students said, yo, Mr. Shambly, wouldn't it be cool if there was an organization that like made language learning cool, where maybe people got to travel? You know, like, how did you learn Spanish? And I told them, you know, I was in college. I studied abroad. It changed my life. Here are the scholarships you need to apply for. And so they asked me, well, what about high school study abroad program? Are there high school study abroad programs? And I actually didn't know. So I said, let me do my research and figure out, you know, what's out there. And... I started doing my research, and as you could imagine, none of the kids in the study abroad photos looked anything like my kids, and none of the leadership looked like me. And so I started doing more research. Okay, like how exactly like how many students of color are having the opportunity to study abroad? I'm a living example of the impact of this, but like let me dive into some research and look at numbers. And so I saw that. First off, when it comes to language learning in the U.S., one, only 20% of U.S. K-12 students are enrolled in a foreign language course, whereas European students, their participation soars above 90%, right? And right now in the U.S., we have the second largest Spanish-speaking population in the world, and by 2050, we're slated to have the largest. So if we're not teaching language learning in schools, how are we preparing our students to thrive in an increasingly uh, diverse, linguistically complex society? Um, so I saw that huge gap. Then I looked at the study abroad participation of college students and saw that uh, only 6% of U.S. students abroad identified as Black. And so I went back to my students and did what any data-driven instructor would do. And I surveyed all of them to see, okay, how many of you are actually interested in a language learning study abroad program? I know that travel seems cool and travel is great, but like specifically language learning. And I saw that 78 out of 80 of my students were interested. And so I was like, well, I have no idea how to start a nonprofit. I have no idea how to start a website. 
But if this is something that you want, and I'm literally the living, walking, like, I, I get it, I feel it, I'm going to leave teaching full time to start Teens of Color Abroad, or what has now become Teens of Color Abroad. And those Gen Z bullies, they were like, yeah, you should go start this program. And so <laughs> I, it was them. I was like, okay, okay, all right, fine. I'll do it. And so I left teaching full time June 2018 to build what has now become Teens of Color Abroad, looking at the racial disparity that exists in which students have access to international opportunities in college, but also looking at the lack of language learning that's happening in U.S. schools. I don't have the exact numbers of how many high school students of color are studying other languages, but also understanding that uh, in most urban areas where a majority of students of color are studying, there's just a lack of access to um, rigorous language courses. For many students, they take one or two years of Spanish. Boom, done. That's it. You know, fulfilled requirement. But students need more practice and, and more access to other languages. And so it was looking at those gaps. It was my students putting the battery in my back. Um, it was it was all of that. But I, I attribute everything that I am doing to my students. I don't know if I would have had the confidence to leave the classroom and start something like I want to take just one minute out to let you know that in addition to hosting The Maverick Show, I am also the co-founder of Maverick Investor Group, a real estate brokerage that helps you buy turnkey rental properties in the best U.S. real estate markets from anywhere. So these are single family homes sometimes two to four unit properties, and they're either brand new or fully renovated, and they already have tenants and local property management in place. So you get all the benefits of owning the deeded real estate, the physical house, the hard asset, without the headaches of being the landlord or the rehabber or needing to live near the property. So I want to offer you a free consultation if that sounds interesting to you. To learn more about it, you can just go to themaverickshow.com slash consult. And now, back to the episode. This, if they hadn't bullied me into doing so. That's amazing. And can you talk about how TOCA actually works today? What does it offer to students and what do students get from participating in TOCA? Yeah, so it turns out brainstorming a study abroad program during a global plague was not the best idea. Who, you know, I, I, I'm like, I, I thought of a lot of worst case scenarios. An epidemic, a pandemic was not one of them. Um, so we were originally hoping to bring a group of students from Brooklyn to actually Sevilla, Spain, where I studied abroad. So uh, TOCA, we are partnered with Centro Mundo Lengua in Sevilla, Spain, and they're the school that I studied abroad with. They're the school that pushed me to become a high school Spanish teacher. Um, so we wanted to bring a group of students to Spain, take triple the amount of Spanish that they would here in the States, live with the homestay family and participate in cultural immersive activities in the afternoon. So like flamenco dance lessons, paella cooking classes, museum tours, where they once again get to practice what they're learning in the classroom actually in the real world. And so COVID put a stop to that, which is all good. You know, again, hip hop resilience, resilience is just at the forefront of my mind, adaptability, make it work, you know, have that biggie mentality. Don't sweat now. We got this. We're going to keep it rolling. And so I'm very proud of what we've been able to do during this time when kids are stuck at home and educational initiatives are a bit scarce. Uh, we've created a virtual language learning program where teens of color across the U.S. study Arabic, Spanish, and French from refugees around the world. So even from home, right, where we want to keep our students safe, but we also do not want them to isolate. I, at the, again, at the forefront of my mind was like, now is not the time to have U.S. students think, oh, I don't want to travel. There's a virus out there. I'm scared to travel. We want to plant the seed at home. And so our students take 10 hours of the language that they've chosen. And again, the classes are taught and led by refugees around the world. So our students get that language learning practice, but they also get to expand their global awareness to understand and hear from refugees. 
which also what happens is they get to undo any harmful, xenophobic stereotypes that they have internalized as Westerners. So we see our students leave our program excited to either continue studying that language, to maybe study another language, and also get them excited to like, yo, when you go to college, you've got to study abroad. Here are all of these opportunities especially black and brown kids, like they need to see and hear that these opportunities exist for you. You may not see yourself in the photos and in the videos, but here's what this program could do for you. Do not be afraid to look out for it. And so it's been really dope to be able to create this language learning program. We've now won a global youth travel award. So it has now won an award, which has been really cool. But that's just one of the virtual initiatives that we've done. Again, resilience, hip hop, keeping it rolling. It's like, okay, cool. What are the cool things about studying abroad and travel? Like what makes it so engaging for people? One, for me, it was the language learning experience, but also two, music. And again, this is how you and I connected, right? Music is an excellent avenue for cultural discovery. I don't know if you can see on my camera directly above me, this is MIA. I'm a big fan of MIA, but in high school, she came out with her debut album, Arular. And I remember that blowing my mind because again, I grew up on hip hop, reggae, sort of those sounds. But all of a sudden, here comes this brown woman rapping about Sri Lanka and PLO and the Tamil Tigers about this part of the world that I didn't know. But because I loved her music and she was sampling rap and hip hop sounds, like on her on her debut mixtape, she had like the clips followed by the bangles and it like walk like an Egyptian. I was like, what is this cultural clash of music? But it was because of her music that I was just excited about other parts of the world. So aside from this Toka language learning program, we have something called Fresh Fridays, where one Friday a month, we have a DJ play a two-hour set of music from around the world so they can talk about how, you know, traditional Senegalese music, where you can hear these parts in baile funk in Brazil today. And so we're getting students to almost expand what they hear, like what are different sounds like from all over the world. So we have this language learning program. We have this like music discovery program. And we're also doing cooking classes for students to learn how to make traditional cultural dishes while at home. We're doing a lot. That's so amazing, man. And I think your point is really a good one in terms of how hip hop has been adopted by people all over the world in different cultures, in different struggles and used as a medium, you know, to articulate their often anti-establishment or marginalized type of narrative through music. Right. I mean, did you when you were in Colombia, did you get to uh, Medellin, Colombia? No, I didn't. That was so originally on my trip. I wanted to go down to Bogota and Medellin, but I ended up going north. But I've heard nothing but great things about Medellin. Well, and Bogota as well. Like if you're I mean, in terms of the hip hop scene, Bogota graffiti tour, um, which actually has become such a big enterprise now, like they have a whole Instagram. You can follow them and everything else. And it's all about street art in Bogota, which is some of the best street art. I mean, definitely, I would say top probably three cities in South America, for sure, in terms of the street art scene, but the hip hop scene as well, in terms of the emceeing in Colombia, super impressive. In when, we went, when I was in Medellin, we went to this community, it was called Comuna Trece, and this particular community was, there was a really terrible human rights atrocity committed there by the Uribe regime uh, back, I don't know how many years ago, now over 20 years, about 20 years ago or so where the government just committed a human rights atrocity and massacred a whole bunch of civilians and things of this nature. And then the community, when they were rebuilding themselves, they rebuilt the community on the pillars of hip-hop culture. So they have a hip-hop community center at the base of the community where every child in the community, starting at the age of five, learns the skills of emceeing, DJing, breakdancing, and graffiti art. The entire community is all street art, like everywhere that you can see. In the middle of this community, there is a giant mural of Rakim. 
in the center of the community, right? And then there's all of this stuff. So I had seen, and I definitely got to send you this. I know that no one can see me in this podcast. My jaw is on the ground right now. So yeah, I, I'm going to need to to see this. So this was crazy, right? So I had done some research about this community before I went there, right? To have sort of the context for what we were walking into. And I had watched a TEDx talk by this Colombian rapper named Jaco, who is one of the top rappers in Colombia, and he's from this community, right? And he's revered in this community, right? Like kids have done murals of him on the wall, right? Like, like he's like kind of kind of like you saying, you know, you come from Bed Stuy, like the rappers are from your community, right? So, like, yeah. same thing here. So this dude Jaco does this talk in TEDx. It's all it's in Spanish, but they have English subtitles on it, right? So I watched this talk, and it's just like it blows my mind, right? He's talking about like his reverence for hip hop from New York City and how they, as colonized people of color in Colombia, related to adopted this music and are using it to articulate their strong. I mean, I mean, just brilliant. I give it to like all human beings as like a primer on hip hop in general. I was like, listen, you got to see this, right? So I watched this video and then I was like, oh man, this is incredible. We go, this was the mind blowing part. Are you ready? We get to Comuna Trece to go on our tour. J. Cole is there himself to give us the tour and guides us through the community. And like all the kids are like running up to him and like, you know, he's kind of like a big guy. So he's personally giving us, you know, this tour of the community And he's one of the people that helped found the community center and he teaches kids starting at five how to rap. So he's giving us this whole tour to community and we get down there and he's like, do you guys want to participate in some of the sessions and show how we teach the kids how to rap and how to break dance and all this stuff? Yeah, of course. So he literally sets us up in like a circle in like a cipher and he goes, okay, this is how I teach five-year-olds to start their hip hop stuff. He said, pick an animal that you like your favorite animal. So somebody's like, okay, I'm a dog, I'm a this, whatever. Like, okay, so take the sound of that animal and then just make that animal sound, but we're going to do it to the beat. Like, so you're going to understand how the harmony goes. So if you're a dog, you're like, woof, 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 woof. And we're just going to get on the beat and we're going to do the thing. We're going to do like this. And we're in a cypher making animal sounds. He's like, this is how I start the five-year-olds off, right? And then from there we build and we go into mm-hmm. these different lyrical skills. And then they got breakdancing classes where they got incredible B-boys and B-girls, like 18, 19 years old, teaching like five, six, seven-year-old kids in the class, in the center, how to do their thing. So I'm, of course, right? Like we're on this tour, right? I mean, it's kind of a small group tour, but like Jayco's least, I'm like walking like right next to the dude like the yeah. whole time. I'm like, <laughs> any questions I can ask him? Right? So I'm asking him like, you know, who are your most influential rappers? Like, mm-hmm. like all this guy, who influenced you? Like all this. And I said to him, because he's from obviously a uh, you know, low-income community there in Colombia. I said, have you ever been outside of Colombia? He said, I once had an opportunity to take an international trip. He said, I got to go to Canada. And when I went to Canada, I got to see a KRS-One concert. I got to see him perform live. And he said, when KRS-One came out on stage, I started crying. He goes, I just couldn't even, I couldn't even believe how powerful that moment was for me in terms of his influence on me. I just got all emotional, man. I just lost it as soon as I saw him in person. And he goes, that's the only international trip that I've been on. And I said to him, I said, if you could go anywhere in the world on another international trip, let's say cost is not an issue. Somehow it got paid for, like whatever. You could go anywhere in the world uh, on an international trip outside of Colombia. Where would you go? He looked at me. He didn't even hesitate. He looks at me. He goes, the South Bronx. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, he's like obviously like, the homeless. That's Mecca. What, what are you? What kind of question is that? Like, I need to go home. That's sacred ground, man. That's where I would yeah. go for sure. You know where it all started. So, yeah, man. Yeah. I mean, so like the the way that hip hop is just taken around the world and embraced and culturally kind of refined locally and then manifested. I mean, it's just it's it's unbelievable, man. But dude, I. And, and again, I, I tell this to my students all the time. One way that my Spanish has gotten so much better is through hip hop. I was obsessed with downloading new music, looking at the lyrics in Spanish, translating it from Spanish to English, and then using some of those words in my again, nerdiness. This is nerdiness, lyrical obsession, but like taking those words and then using it in my AP Spanish essays, right? To like expand my vocabulary. And so my teacher like, how do you learn these words? It's like, yo, there's Violadores del Verso from Spain. There's La Mala Rodriguez. So they're all of these rappers that I've like, love their flow, love their sounds. And I was just like pulling language from them. And so that's, it's so dope to see how hip hop 
has manifested across the world? What are the similarities between, you know, artists that you hear from New York versus an artist that you would hear from Chile? But it's just that's the power of music. It is, man. Yeah, it's amazing, too. And then when you go, you know, and travel around and go to very different types of cultures, right? Like I've spent a bunch of time in Asia and the way that hip hop is adopted in Asia is I mean, it's incredible, right? Like in Seoul, Korea, I mean, first of all, which is probably the hip hop capital of Asia, right? I mean, the, the, the Koreans, first of all, have been winning the international breakdance competitions. I mean, year after year after year. I mean, they like basically have that on lock now, right? You know, I was over there in, in Seoul and I spent about probably about five weeks or so in Seoul. A friend of mine uh, who had lived in Seoul for like three years, she was like, oh, yeah. She's like, I noticed rapper in Seoul. I'll connect you guys. And I was like, cool, that'd be really dope. And I didn't know. I was like, is this a Korean rapper? Is this a, like, I mean, I didn't know anything. So she connects me with this dude. He's a black dude. He's like, yeah, we're doing this show. You should come through, like all this kind of stuff. I was like, cool. Don't know anything about this guy, right? But except that he was nice and he was inviting me to his show. So I was like, cool. So I go to his show. And first of all, okay, like the DJ that's warming people up, all 90s hip hop, right? The crowd completely into it. I mean, these people are hip hop purists, man. I mean, they like the best hip hop. They appreciate the art form. They know all the, I mean, they, they just go there. They are very into this. Right. And so then they came on stage. I mean, you know, crushed it, you know, crowd was so into it. So I go up to, up to the guy afterwards. And I said, I said, brother, I said, where are you from? He said, I'm from South Africa. I'm from Durban, South Africa. I was like, word. I was like, what are you doing in Korea? He goes, I moved to Seoul, Korea from South Africa for the purpose of pursuing a hip hop career because hip hop is so huge here and people appreciate it so much. He goes, I just moved here to do hip hop. I was like, that's unbelievable. That's wild. I mean, it's amazing. Right. And then I was meeting with like other people that, you know, like Korean rappers and stuff like that. And I'm like, who are your influences? And they're like, you know, mob deep. Like, I mean, like all, the, I mean, like, <laughs> you were listening, like you were listening to shook ones in soul. Like, yeah. how does that happen? Exactly. <laughs> it's so amazing. Man. And I'm always like blown away, even in places where you just like would never imagine, you know, this kind of stuff or this type of culture, how much appreciation, like, cause I look for it. Right. So when I travel, one of the things that I do is first of all, I look for a street art tour because I like to see, a city through the lens of the street artists, right? How do they see their own city? How do they see and represent their own struggles in their own city through a lens that is not filtered by the government or corporations and things like that, right? So that's the first thing that I love to see. And then how's the hip hop scene in these different places? In some places, man, I will just be blown away. Like I was in St. Petersburg, Russia, what would you imagine is the hip hop scene in St. Petersburg, Russia? I wasn't, I didn't have very high expectations, okay? The week that I get there, Lord Finesse from the Bronx is spinning at a party in St. Petersburg, Russia. I go out to this party and there's, you know, Russian kids. I mean, you know, in their 20s kind of thing, right? Here's the thing that's amazing. He is spinning all like 90s East Coast hip hop, like the, I mean, just gang star, like the best of the best of 90s East Coast hip hop. All of these Russian kids who are in their 20s, who were not even born when most of this stuff came out, they know every word in English, they're singing along. They came out. They got like New York jerseys that they're wearing. I'm like, my mind is blown. Yo, that's one, the power of New York. That's like, yeah, it just, it awakens me to realize one, again, the power of music. But two, again, as I said earlier, the way that people interpret hip hop, like it's still so applicable to no matter where you're from, right? They see this music coming from the struggle here in New York. And like that works in so many different contexts. That's powerful. For sure, man. So let me ask you this, just sort of bringing it back to Toka and your students. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, some of the impact that the Toka experience has had on your students? And feel free to either, I mean, shout out individual folks or just give sort of general examples. But like, what have some of your students experienced, you know, through Toka and how has it impacted their lives? Yeah, definitely. So I'm, I'm really proud of, of what we have done, but I don't think that any of this could have been done without our partner, Natakalam. Natakalam is their name. They have been just exceptional. 
and specifically with our conversation partners, our language teachers all over the world. They have been so great with our students. So that's been beautiful to see. One student in particular, a young lady from D.C., she did our Toka Online Arabic program. And she's a pageant girl. She like does all the local pageants in her city. And after her Toka Online program, she had a Instagram live holiday benefit concert to raise awareness about the refugees living in her city. And it was after her Toka Online program where she had gotten to know her conversation partner and more about his life that she was like, I want to figure out how I can do something here at home. So she like took this virtual experience and had this really dope Instagram live concert where she highlighted all, you know, her other friends who were in musicals and got them to perform. But then she also invited a poet. I believe the young lady was from Syria, but like a Syrian poet to like share her stories and her life. And I'm like, that's so dope that this, she's a teenager, she's 17, this 17 year old girl during this time, during COVID stuck at home where she like created this virtual experience to raise awareness uh, about refugees. And so I thought that was incredible. It just warmed my heart. And then the second thing, uh, earlier this year, we got picked up by Teen Vogue magazine, which is so cool. Uh, but one of the students that was interviewed in the Teen Vogue article he reached out to me after he was like, yo, like Lamar, this is what I want to do. Like you are literally doing what I like. I would love to travel. I would love to learn languages. I'm applying to college next year. Can, could you write my college recommendation letter? I was like, absolutely. What? Let's go. I got it. Like whatever you want, whatever you need me for, I'm here. And so I wrote his college recommendation letter and he got into the college and got a full ride to the school. So his parents are not going to be, you know, held back by loans. He won't be held back by loans. And so young men of color will get to travel and continue to study languages in college. And so like, that's literally exactly what I want to do for kids is one become empathetic people. That's what happens when you learn languages, when you travel, you get to just like see the world through other people's views, right? And so through that, you build cultural empathy. We need our students, we need young folks to like really build community. Um, just with everything happening right now in the world, if there's anything that I could like encourage kids to do is to find ways to, to build cross-cultural connections. Um, so it was so dope to see this young lady, you know, really take on that opportunity to create this virtual space to bring awareness, but then also encouraging young folks to go for it when they're in college, right. And to continue to travel and, and study other languages. Um, and, but then also use educators in their communities as resources. I tell students all the time, I'm like, yo, you got a black male educator standing right in front of you. There aren't many of us. Use me. I am here for you. Like, how can I help you? I want to make sure you get to where you need to get to. And so I love that now I am building almost like a mentor, a virtual mentorship with students across the country, students I've never met in person, but we have common interests and they have an educator in their corner. And so that's just, again, another really powerful part of what we're doing is we're getting young folks to, I want them to change the world. It's time. <laughs> it's time for them to change the world. That is so amazing. I am such a huge fan of what you are doing. As I was going through your website and reading every page, I was just smiling the whole time that I was reading it because you're doing such amazingly important and transformative work. And I want to ask you how people can support Toka. I know you guys have a 501c3 status, so there's an opportunity for tax-deductible donations. And also, I mean, feel free to let folks know, first of all, how they can donate if they want to contribute financially to what you're doing, and if there's any other ways that people can contribute or support what you're up to. Yeah, absolutely. So definitely check out our website at www.teensofcolorabroad.org. We definitely have a link set up there. If you are interested in donating, that would be huge for us, especially because with our virtual programs, we're trying to make sure that this is entirely zero cost for students. I don't want them and their families, you know, having to shell out a lot of money over this experience. I think that this is something that students deserve. 
again, especially during this time, I just can't imagine being 16, 17 years old in the past four or five years, what's happening in our world, that being during your most transformative years, right? So thinking about You know, Black Lives Matter, the Trump administration, climate change, gun violence in schools, you know, the pandemic, all of this during your formative years is just so much. And so I really want adults to now like see that and like, yo, we got to help the kids. We got to like show them that there is a better world out there because a lot of students that I talk to, they're like, what is life? What is going to happen after this? And so that's what we're really trying to do with Toka. So definitely check out our website. If you are on Instagram, we are at Teens of Color Abroad on Instagram. We're going to have a Toka Teen Takeover Week here for the alliteration. Again, hip hop. (laughs) And so for Toka Teen Takeover Week, we're going to have the students leading everything. They're going to be having a lot of interviews. We're going to post a cooking class. So definitely check us out. That's going to be from June 14th to June 19th. So definitely check that out. And yes, we are looking for corporate sponsors. Eventually, I would love to make this an in-person program when it's safe to travel. And so we're looking for corporate sponsors. But definitely check out teensofcolorabroad.org. And we're everywhere on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Awesome. We are going to link all of that up in the show notes. So you can go to one place at themaverickshow.com and everything that Lamar just mentioned is going to be there. The social media handles, links to the website, how you can donate, all that good stuff. And at this point, Lamar, are you ready to move in to the lightning round? Yo, let's go. I'm ready. Let's do it. Let's do it. The lightning round. All right. What is one book that has significantly impacted you over the years you'd most recommend people check out? Homegoing by Yagyasi. It encouraged me to do research on my ancestry. I was able to go back to the 1800s to find out like where my great, great, great grandparents, where they were. And it was because of that book. So definitely homegoing Yagyasi. Awesome. Who is one person that's currently alive today that you've never met that you would most love to have dinner with? Just you and that person for an evening of dinner and conversation. Ryan Coogler. I am just like, I think he is the dopest guy. He is brilliant. And whenever he speaks, I just hear the West Coast come out of that man's mouth. He can't speak a lick for anything, but that man's a genius. And he sounds like where he's from. So, yo, Ryan Coogler, I have a huge professional crush on that man. That's awesome. (laughs) All right, Lamar, knowing everything that you know now, If you were able to go back in time and give one piece of advice to your 18-year-old self, what would you say to 18-year-old Lamar? When I think about my life, there's a clear separation of before I came out and after. And I think after I came out, I had built the confidence that I'm like so proud to have now. I wish I had that when I was 18. So I would tell myself, yo, you're perfect the way that you are. That's amazing. I love that. All right. Of all the places that you have been in the world, what are your top three favorite travel destinations you would most recommend people check out? Okay. One, San Blas Islands. Definitely off the coast of Panama. Definitely do the San Blas Islands. That's number one. Number two, I haven't been there in a while. would love to go back. New Orleans. I feel like New Orleans is a beautiful city. I mean, the music culture, the food culture, say less, right? That's absolutely perfect. And then number three, I'm going to say Brooklyn. I'm going to say Brooklyn here. (laughs) Represent. This is the best place. It's a very different Brooklyn than than the 90s, but uh, this is home for me. So I'm going to say Brooklyn. Represent. I love that. All right. What are your top three bucket list destinations? These are places you've never been the highest on your list you would most love to see. I mean, yo, Medellin, you just planted the seed. I'm ready to go tomorrow. Definitely would love to check that out. Where else? Yo, one of my boys is in, actually my fraternity brother, he's in Berlin right now. And Berlin has always seemed like it has like a really dope scene, music scene. So an art scene, I would definitely check out Berlin. And somewhere else I haven't been I'm going to say in this entire country, I'm sure there's a city in there I would love to visit, but South Africa, I've never been 
um, to South Africa. I've been to Morocco, so I've been to Africa, but I would love to check out South Africa. That's a really good pick. I've spent about three months in Cape Town. And so whenever you want to start planning that trip, man, hit me up for recommendations for sure. Perfect. We'll do. <laughs> Dope spot, man. That's a great pick. All right, Lamar, we have come to the final and most important question of the interview. I'm about to ask you who your top five hip hop MCs of all time are. Now, first of all, though, let me ask you this. Do people know the answer to this? Like, do your students know Mr. Shambly's top five hip hop MCs or is this like going to be breaking news? Yo, so actually I had a situation um, last week where I showed a student I was talking, blah, 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 blah. And I showed them like the background of my phone. Again, no one in the podcast can see this, but I did this with my phone and a kid messaged me in the Zoom chat and said in caps, OMG, is that MF Doom? And I'm like, how do you know who MF Doom is? Number one, you were 16 years old. Um, and so I ended up, I told him to stay after class. We ended up talking for like 20 minutes about hip hop music. So there is a student who would know who is in my top list. So, yeah. We're about to make it public for the world here today on the Maverick show. So then after this, everybody's going to know. Everyone's going to know because, and, and again, before I say my list, I know that there are lots of answers. So please do not, you know, yell at me if I'm missing some of the. <laughs> this is a very, very personal question for everybody. Cause I ask for all my everyone. guests, all my guests that are hip hop fans. I'm saying, I'm not asking you who was the most influential, who was the most commercially right. successful. I'm not asking any right. of those questions. I'm saying for you personally, in terms of the MCs that, influenced and meant the most to you who are those top five yeah great question number one gotta start with biggie um actually i haven't told you this i got a biggie tattoo on me for me biggie just represents he represents home he represents just like lyrical excellence his flow is like is everything to me and it still sounds so good i play uh life after death last day with the locks i still play that like it came out the other day so biggie for me will always be number one number two mf doom um when he died that was probably one of the most difficult uh responses to like a celebrity death for me i appreciate uh rappers who rap like they have an mfa um, where it's so much more than the punchline, it's alliteration, it's clever. He's just clever. I love the way that he plays with words. I love the nerdiness. I love the unpretentiousness. MF Doom is is one of my favorite rappers. Mad Villain, the Mad Villainy album, mm, Food, Operation Doomsday, like all of those albums really impacted me as a teenager and into my adulthood. So number two, gotta say MF Doom. Number three for me, as a queer person who loves hip hop and again, 90s hip hop, Little Kim changed my life to see a black woman take full control of her sexuality and just to see her confidence. I really love women rappers because I feel like they amplify what can be talked about in hip hop. Kim has a song called Aunt Dot, where she personifies her menstruation cycle as this vengeful murderer, which to me, I'm like, this is cool. She's rapping about her period, but like in a very artistic way. And as someone who loves languages, she has songs where she's rapping in German, in Russian, and in Spanish. I'm like, Come on. I know that people often pigeonhole her just for the sexual stuff, but I think she's also a dope rapper and just like cultural icon. So number three, I'm going to say Little Kim. Number four, again, and this is in no particular order, Cameron. The Purple Haze album just, again, snatched my brain out, mixed it up a bit and like put it back where it was. Um, I was just listening to Girls Cash Cars <laughs> before this interview. I think Cameron, once again, he often gets laughed at for the way that he raps. But I think it's just so clever how he plays with words. Um, his sounds like I, I saw him live actually right before the pandemic and I didn't cry, but I was very close. Just like, yo, I, I rock with Cameron hard. So number four, I would say Cameron. And then number five, I think it might be a two-way tie here. 
is split between Pharaoh and Black Thought of the Roots. I mean, because Black Thought is in the Roots, he often doesn't get brought up in the top five for many folks. Yo, he's been rocking since the Roots like first came out. Just like has never dropped in quality. Uh, so Black Thought and then Pharaoh uh, What are the albums? The Desire album and the We Are Renegades album. Again, as as a young guy, like getting into hip hop music, just like love his flow, love the nerdiness. He's also hard, like you know, just like gutter street rap. I like I like love that. That is that is my favorite. Um, and then I have an honorable mention because <laughs> sorry, you know you know when you I ask these five, keep them going, man. Can't just get to five. Keep uh, going. Here is honorable mention uh, number six for me personally, Guru. Jasmine Taz Volume 2 and Jasmine Taz Volume 1. Again, I was probably 15 years old, so well after the Jasmine Taz albums came out. But to hear that blend of jazz and hip-hop, and also for the song uh, Lifesaver, I think he had MC Solar do an entire verse in French. And that, to me, it was just like, this is so cool to see, again, how hip-hop can be stretched. It's not just this one style. We can tap into this genre. We can tap into this language and, like, have this blend. He's got Shaka Khan on one of his first albums, like, and Wynton Marsalis. Like, what is that? So, Biggie, MF Doom, Little Kim, Cameron, Pharaoh Munch, Black Thought, and Guru Gangstar as honorable mention. I love it. Those are absolutely amazing picks, brother. Lamar, this has been such a blast, man. I want you to let folks know how they can connect with you, how they can find you, follow you on social media. Go ahead and give out the the handles and the website and all that kind of stuff. Again, how do you want people to come into your world? Yeah, definitely. If you want to connect with me personally, I feel like LinkedIn is an excellent place to do it. I am definitely there. Social media, once again, Teens of Color Abroad. I am a millennial through and through. I feel like I'm uh, curating our social media in a very cool way. So definitely check out Teens of Color Abroad. And if you'd like to connect with me personally, LinkedIn, I'm the only Lamar Shambly in the entire world. uh, So it won't be too hard to find me. (laughs) We're going to link it all up in the show notes. Just go to one place at themaverickshow.com. Everything will be there in the show notes for this episode. Lamar, this was amazing, brother. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Yo, thank you. So what better way to spend my Saturday afternoon? (laughs) (laughs) I love it. (laughs) Thank you. All right. Good night, everybody. Be sure to visit the show notes page at themaverickshow.com for direct links to all the books, people, and resources mentioned in this episode. You'll find all that and much more at themaverickshow.com. Learn how Maverick Investor Group can help you buy cash-flowing rental properties in the best U.S. real estate markets, regardless of where you live. Schedule a free phone consult today at themaverickshow.com slash consult. Now you can buy rental properties with tenants and local property management in place so you don't have to be a landlord or a rehabber to get your questions answered and discuss how Maverick Investor Group can help you meet your real estate investing goals. Schedule your free phone consult today at themaverickshow.com forward slash consult. If you like podcasts, you will love audiobooks, and you can get your first one for free at themaverickshow.com slash audiobook. Whether you want the latest best-selling novels or books on investing, business, or travel, try your first audiobook for free at themaverickshow.com forward slash audiobook.